Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, always very good to get a catch up on all things that are happening politically in Australia and, of course, uh, into the election campaign about halfway through, less than three weeks to go. Martin Niles, the Managing Director of Australian Christian Lobby, is joining us. Good morning, Martin. Welcome along. Good morning, Neil. Good to be with you again. Uh, Martin, as I say, uh, less than three weeks out from the federal election, lots of attention being given to the fact that the polls are narrowing. The latest news poll uh, shows that things are the closest they've been for a long, long time. Uh, What are your thoughts on polls at this point? Well, things are now getting interesting, aren't they? I mean, when it was at 54-46, everybody thought, oh, well. We know how that's all going to work out and was resigning themselves to, um, to, to the situation. But at 51.49, I don't think we've seen a poll like that for many, many, many months. Uh, and it does show that the two parties are now really very close to each other. Uh, you have equal primary votes, which is a really important number. 51.49 is a result after they do sort of a, a best guess at what the preference distribution would look like. Um, and you remember, uh, Neil, a few weeks ago on this program, I pointed out that there was some momentum building on the coalition side uh, and that Labor had lost the momentum and that Scott Morrison was likely to call an election as late as he possibly could because he just needs time for that momentum to play out. And the big question is, maybe 18th, right? That's the last weekend upon which he could call an election. It's as late as he could possibly go. Um, And the big question in his brain right now will be, is it long enough? because I think he will be expecting the momentum to continue in the coalition camp. Uh, Is it long enough? How long is a piece of string? I don't know. Uh, One thing is for sure that the campaign so far has been uh, really favouring the coalition. Bill Shorten made some huge mistakes. Um, He hasn't been able to get a lot of clear air. Uh, He's not been able to escape certain questions, particularly around his electric car policies and things like that. Uh, And the clear air has been in the camp of the coalition. And so... If it plays out over the next three weeks, as it has played out over the last couple of weeks, um, I think that something extraordinary could happen. Um, I certainly have been of the view for some time that a coalition victory is exceedingly unlikely. Um, And I still think it's unlikely because we need to remember what the challenge before them is. They're a minority government. They need to gain They need to hold every single seat they have across the country, even in states like Victoria where they're struggling, and they need to gain new seats. Now, the momentum will have to swing back in their camp a lot for that to happen. But gosh, it's getting interesting. Let's put it that way. Well, less than three weeks out, and we might be anticipating some election debates. Now, the first one happens tonight, Martin, and uh, hosted by the Seven Network. Another one, I think, later this week, uh, hosted by Sky News, and then one planned for the ABC, but some doubt over that. Uh, some doubt over even the enthusiasm of Bill Shorten to be participating in these sorts of debates, but they're always an important part of an election campaign. What are your thoughts about the debates? Well, it's interesting. Um, the debates, I guess I guess survival tends to be uh, the, the desire of both leaders in a debate because they very often don't change much. Um, uh, unless one leader manages to really 
really land a blow on the other and outshine them, which happens once in a blue moon. So uh, I find that debates tend not to change anything unless there is a, 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 one in a once in a blue moon event of somebody having a massive performance win. I do think that um, Bill Shorten has been reluctant to do more debates because it's his to lose at this stage. Um, I think that uh, if, if it goes badly for him one more time, and it could, he's not as personable, he's not as likable, he's, uh, he's not as popular personally as Scott Morrison. Uh, if it goes badly for him, he has a lot to lose. Uh, and so I think that's why you'll see that he's the, part, he's the guy in this uh, picture with the, the, the most to, to lose from the whole process, so he's, he's, he's reluctant to do it. Well, Martin, we're always concentrating the majority of our discussion around the social issues, which are not getting, I might say, from my own perspective, uh, uh, the sorts of airtime on the national news. But let's talk about one of these issues, because uh, there's a connection here, and clearly uh, there's going to be quite significant debate around this in the lead-up to the election, but gay conversion therapy it would be banned if Labor wins the federal election. And then you've got the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who's arguing it'll be up to the states, and he's trying to distance himself from this. But, Martin, you have personally been interviewed by 60 Minutes for a piece this Sunday evening. It's going to be a significant piece, undoubtedly. It'll bring this into the headlines. Yeah, it certainly will, and I expect it to have uh, significant ramifications. Neil, I think what you said at the start there is spot on. So many of the really significant issues, especially for Christians, are lurking in the background on this. Uh, the debates you reference, the policy platforms that tend to be front and centre, they all talk about how deep is my tax cut, they all talk about you know how wide is my motorway, uh, how fat is my Centrelink check. But the real issues come down to so many of these details in the background that relate to primarily questions of religious freedom. And if you said conversion therapy to the average Australian, nobody has a clue what, what you're talking about. Um, and people think, well, you know, is that, um, you know, that crazy talks from sort of the 1960s and 70s about people who got electric shock therapy because they were gay or because of these weird boot camps that they used to have in America where they sent children, you know, young people who said they were experiencing same-sex attraction, they sent them off there to sort of get the gay beaten out of them. Are you talking about that sort of thing? Well, if we were, nobody would have any concerns, right? Because there's nobody in their right mind who supports that kind of thing. And it, But the thing is, it isn't happening today. It isn't happening in 2019 Australia. And so you do have to ask the question, what's going on here? Why would you push so zealously for the banning of gay conversion therapy? Why have a 60-minute episode on it? Why put it into the policy agenda of a federal election? What's going on here? And the devil is in the detail. It's always in the detail. And when you read the actual policies that have been written, this, I believe, is, should be of utmost concern to every parent in the nation. Because what gay conversion therapy laws actually do is, under the guise of that label, they essentially make it unlawful to promote any idea that suggests that change is possible for somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. So what does that mean in practice? Well, first of all, if a pastor were to get up and preach the Christian gospel and say that conversion to Christ means a change in who we are, it means a change in our affections, it means a change in, it means a growth in holiness and things like this, fundamentals to the Christian gospel, that's all of a sudden at risk. And I can say that because I've read the policy reports written by those who are pushing this 
and they've specifically singled out Christian teaching and the gospel as an area of serious concern, as an ideology that feeds gay conversion therapy. Uh, also, uh, if you look at the Australian Labor Party's former policy on this, they actually single out parents. And they say where these ideas are promoted in the family home. And you say, well, what ideas? Well, actually, the idea that a parent might say to their son or daughter, look, don't practice your homosexuality at 16. Uh, let's wait and see how this pans out. And I don't think it's good for you to be uh, you know, going down that pathway at this stage. Okay, that's apparently gay conversion therapy by the parents. Or... If their child at the age of 12 goes to school and they hear um, all of this content being promoted at school in the gender-bending programs, the safe schools type programs, they get told to explore and experiment with their gender as they are told in these programs. Uh, and then they talk to the school counsellor and they start saying, well, I feel like I might be a girl, not a boy anymore. And they go home, parents find out about it and say, listen, Harry, don't identify as a girl just yet because, you know, the studies say that this might be a passing phase and as your parents, we want you to stay as you are uh, and we'll wait and see how all this works out. Well, guess what? The parents are actually gender converting that child. And most people now are sort of sitting there thinking this doesn't make any sense. And you're right, it doesn't make sense. Um, it's madness because apparently the activist isn't converting, but the parent is converting. And what these laws will do is that they'll actually make that parent, and I quote from the policy platform of the Australian Labor Party, they will make them psychological abusers and domestic abusers. That is the actual language used. Now, I, do, I think it's got, it's got very serious when we're starting to talk in these categories. And I feel like I need to you know, get up on the, the hilltops all across the country and say, listen, the activists are running the show and this is very, very serious. Well, um, we'll, be, we'll be looking out to see 60 Minutes next weekend. No doubt that's Sunday evening next week. And to see whether Martin Isles... Uh, 60 Minutes has done the right thing by you or whether it's actually a setup for you too to, uh, uh, to in some way uh, disgrace the sorts of things that you've been talking about. But I do note that the Shadow Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus, he's reported as saying Labor believes that no one should be subjected to painful, unnecessary and harmful pseudoscientific practices. Now, that is an important word, I think. I'll get your thoughts here for a moment because the implication is there that even the idea of prayer uh, for someone who's wanting to change could well be outlawed. As you're talking about families, as you're talking about what might happen in the Christian church as somebody comes forward for responding to the gospel message, uh, this idea of a pseudo-scientific practice, is that sort of code for you won't be able to pray for someone who has same-sex attraction? Well, yeah, so most of the policies at least say prayer and counselling. Um, so exactly right. So if somebody comes to a pastor and says, listen, pastor, I'd really love prayer for this particular issue, um, that would fall foul of, your, of your, your, your traditional gay conversion therapy legal framework. Or if, let's say, somebody, let's say a group of 10 people who were struggling with this issue came together to talk it out and, and do, you know, quote-unquote counselling, that is voluntary talking about these issues, how to deal with them, etc. And there are groups just like that, uh, like voluntary groups which are run across the country. Those two would be outlawed. It was interesting on 60 Minutes, Neil. Um, I said at the start, look, this isn't about electric shock therapy and about boot camps and all the rest of it. This is about Christian teaching, Christian practice, Christian prayers, Christian, uh, Christian pastors, Christian parents. Uh, and the interviewer denied that at the start. But 45 minutes later, at the end of the interview, I said, isn't it interesting? 
that that was denied at the start as being the real motive behind this, but and yet that is all we've talked about for 40 minutes. All we've talked about is what is the Christian message? What is the Christian view of homosexuality and transgender? That really is what's going on here, I'm afraid to say. And, uh, yep, prayers, counselling, they're included in most of your standard policies on this. Well, Martin Isles, you'll be in the deep end on Sunday night next week on that 60 Minutes episode, and uh, we'll all be interested to see how the outcome of that goes. Look, uh, some quick responses for you on a couple of issues running short of time. Uh, Israel Folau, well, uh, he's uh, meeting with the Rugby Australia this week. Uh, Any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, just quickly, I mean, to keep people up to date, uh, Rugby Australia have uh, indicated they will be sacking him, but he has legally challenged that decision. And so what's happening this week is the beginning of that legal process. So he's got legal representation that will be making arguments that they can't sack him because it's an infringement on his religious freedom. Um, And the question here really is, can somebody be sacked from a $4 million a year contract simply for quoting a Bible verse on their personal uh, social media account? It's actually very serious. Uh, It's very serious for all Christians in this country. uh, And the outcome of that will really matter. So... Uh, we await uh, further results on that. I don't think we've seen the end of this issue just yet. Now, we were talking about the federal election coming less than three weeks away, but it turns out there's actually another election happening in Tasmania this coming weekend, uh, Tasmanian Legislative Council elections. Uh, what are your thoughts just uh, quickly on on that development there and uh, the likely outcomes? Yeah, look, Tasmania, the reason we raise this is just because... Um, if you just change a few hundred votes in the Tasmanian upper house, so this is their state upper house, you can actually change the entire complexion of that upper house. And these crazy laws that have passed through Tasmania recently, like genderless birth certificates, like if you don't use someone's preferred gender pronouns, whether they be he, she, or nim, or ner, or z, or zay, or whatever, uh, then, you know, you're going to be up for hate speech uh, and a various other crazy, crazy things. Uh, all of those kinds of laws would just be stopped. Uh, and it only needs a change of a few hundred votes in the field. Uh, and that shows us what's possible if we get involved in campaigns. So ACL's running a field campaign in Tassie. Uh, we have small teams going house to house, door to door, knocking on doors and explaining to uh, ordinary folks in those electorates that, that are voting um, that what's going on. Uh, and those people are changing their minds. And I actually think we can change a few hundred votes between now and uh, when those elections are in the month of May. Um, and uh, that's a little example to all, I think, of what happens when Christians get on their feet and when Christians get active in their community on these issues. Uh, we can firewall the upper house in Tasmania and we can make sure this crazy stuff stops down there. But what we can do in Tasmania, we can do in the nation. Uh, and I'd like to see ACL teams uh, mobilising in every state election uh, to focus on those upper house races in New South Wales, Western Australia, Queensland, Victoria, the whole lot. Uh, and I think that uh, there's a great and bright opportunity that lies ahead of us if we get busy. And, of course, uh, you need a small army. In fact, we might even say you need a large army of support uh, to be able to do that. And uh, when we uh, point people to your website, acl.org.au, uh, undoubtedly people can get some details there as to how they can connect to be a part of that process. While we're talking back to the federal election here, something that is very significant that's happening, and that is that pre-poll voting centres are open from today and uh, people will be able to get their vote in early. Uh, There is uh, some sense here in which it's worthwhile, uh, Martin, to be able to know how to use the preferential voting system uh, 
uh, effectively so that when you cast your vote, you are actually casting the vote the way that you feel that you want to and not uh, somehow rather being manipulated. What are your thoughts Mm. for people who are going to be voting from now until the election? Well, sure, I'd say that just understand two things. Understand that you've got two votes. One vote is for the House of Representatives, that's the green ballot paper. One's for the Senate, that's the white ballot paper. A lot of people split their vote. A lot of people vote for one party in the, in the, in the green ballot and one party on the white ballot. And the reason for that is that whoever you vote for on the green ballot is going to form a government. That'll be Liberal or Labor. It's going to be Blue Team, Red Team. That's just the way that it is. doesn't mean you can't vote for a minor party first and put Liberal or Labor down the preference line a little bit, because your vote for Liberal or Labor will probably still count, but it gives a minor party a fighting chance of getting a place in your seat. So there's no harm in doing that. But whoever you put first on that sheet, Liberal Labor, for most people, will be your local representative. They'll form government. That's the green ballot paper. However, it's a whole different story with the white ballot paper in the Senate. Uh, what you're doing there is you're actually deciding who is going to keep an eye on the government, who's going to be the watchdog in the upper house to put a check and a balance on legislation. So you might think, well, if a Labor government were to win in the lower house, the House of Representatives, I wouldn't be happy with that. I'd want someone in the upper house, in the Senate, to be keeping an eye on them. So think about that when you're voting in the Senate. And don't necessarily vote for the major parties. Vote for smaller groups as well who you know identify very closely with your values. And you just need to put a number one to six above the line, uh, the big black line, if you just want to vote for parties. You could put one for, you know, I don't know, uh, Australian Conservatives, two for someone else, three for someone else, and so on. Uh, that's, that's a good way to do it. Or you can put one to 12 below the line if you want to get more specific and actually vote for individual candidates rather than just parties. Because if you vote for parties, then the parties get to choose who specifically they put in the Senate, you know, which individual person, whereas you might want to have a bit more control. And if you feel confident to do that, totally up to you. You could go below the line and vote 1 to 12, and you might know the particular personalities. If you don't know the personalities, if the names are all a blur, just 1 to 6 above the line. So, yeah, look, the, the summary of that is white ballot paper, who's going to keep an eye on the government? Think about that. And I guess, and I guess uh, one of the most important factors, Martin, and I know we've encouraged listeners along this line before, and perhaps something that might become a dinner table conversation, the idea that as a Christian believer, you might vote according to your Christian conscience, uh, not just swayed according to who has the glossiest or uh, best ads on the TV. Uh, just one quick note from, from you on that. Uh, I mean, we have a Christian conscience, and I must say that churches are reluctant uh, to tell people how to vote, and uh, we won't tell people how to vote either on this program. And I know you don't tell people, Martin, how to vote, uh, but certainly these issues that are coming up, uh, they do favour one side over the other. But what are your thoughts on this Christian conscience and, and actually doing something effective with the way that we understand our Christian faith? Yeah, I would say this, Neil. I would say that we do live in times when the differences between the parties on moral issues, on questions of right and wrong and morality, are getting greater and greater. And I mean that for the two major parties, but I also mean it for all the minor parties. And so you need to be wise more than ever that you're not putting a one in the box next to a party that actually hates everything that God loves. Uh, That's a real problem. Uh, for if you put one next to animal justice because you like animals, I'm sorry, you're voting for a party that, uh, frankly, has values which are utterly and totally opposed to Christianity if you look at their full uh, policy platform. So be wise, be careful, don't get sucked in by the name. Uh, look at what they stand for. Uh, and I would say at the moment, um, 
Yeah, I'd say that's the, the primary thing that a Christian needs to consider. Don't get sucked in by the glossy ads. Don't get sucked in by the name. Don't get sucked in by how big a tax cut you'll get or how wide a motorway you'll get or how big a Centrelink you'll have. Uh, don't do that. Think about what it is that God loves and God hates. Think about his moral righteous standard because the scriptures are very clear. They say righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. It says that governments are sent by God to punish evil and reward good. Make sure that moral compass is strong in Australia and vote for the people that will uphold that. Uh, and that's what I would say is the primary motivating consideration for a Christian voter. Well, I encourage listeners, don't just be an armchair commentator, an armchair spectator. Uh, there is still time for you to participate in how you can bring about uh, a change in outcome, uh, given that there are threats that are upon the nation right now. And as Martin Isles says, uh, you can be a part of the teams that they're putting together. acl.org.au is the Australian Christian Lobby website. Martin Isles, always appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always my pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.